This podcast is produced by KPP Financial. Steve Peasley, President. KPP Financial. Independent thinking, shared success. And now today's podcast. fellow investors and welcome to our Monday, December 2nd, 2019 edition of Invest Talk. Yep, we are into the month of December, the last month of the year. I hope everybody had a wonderful Thanksgiving. I know I had a lot of turkey and stuffing and you know, all the fixings. It was a, it was a great holiday. Uh, spent a lot of downtime with friends and family and I hope you did as well and hope you're ready for this last month of the year. Because as always, especially with Trump in office, there's a lot of variables at play. And if you're looking for unbiased guidance, you've come to the right place. I'm Justin Klein. I thank you for joining me today. I hope you will call me with your investing questions because that's what drives this show. Are your questions, your concerns. Maybe you just want to bring up a topic. Maybe you had a conversation over Thanksgiving dinner with a cousin or a friend or a brother or a sister, whatever, and it sparks some questions in your mind. And maybe you need a sounding board for their ideas and their thoughts. And this is a great place for that. That's really what we are. We're a sounding board for your questions and concerns. And hopefully, with those answers, we can help you move, move you along the path of financial freedom that we try to help you with each and every weekday. And we do this philosophy of independent thinking and shared success. So this is not CNBC. This is about having our own, having our own opinion and coming to conclusions that are simply based on sound reason and logic. Not about, oh, what ratings or commercials we're going to sell. Right. So in this hour, I'm going to do my best to move you along your specific path to financial freedom and we can do that even better if you give us a call with your specific question at 888-99-CHART, 888-992-4278. That's how you get through and ask your question in this hour. And in case you haven't heard, Steve Peasley will be returning to San Jose this Thursday, December 5th. He's already booked available appointments. However, there is always a chance that you know someone's canceled, so you can call and get on the wait list. Or you can simply sign up for his future dates. I know he's going to have a couple in January. I believe we're finalizing actually a Texas trip as well. So if you are in, I believe we're going to do Dallas. Uh, if you're in that region, shoot us an email. Maybe you can be the first one to meet with Steve in the Dallas area. So if you're meeting, if you're interested in meeting with him there or New York or here in California or just over the phone, you can register right now at investtalk.com. These are no-cost portfolio review consultations. Now, my main talking point today concerns the market reaction to the weakening manufacturing data. Obviously, investors weren't very happy about the this economic report, but I think this is also a follow-through from Thursday, Friday. Excuse me. I know the market was a half day, and typically it's it's a low volume day in the market, but there was actually decent volume on. Friday for a half day, right? And the market was down modestly, but today was a pretty pretty strong follow through on pretty decent volume. It wasn't catastrophic, but clearly you're you're starting some sort of a, a pullback, a, some sort of 
a retrenchment. And nothing felt it stronger than the tech space. You know, you had the likes of Roku, I think it was down about 15%. A lot of the cloud names were down big. And so you just you're just seeing a little more risk off sentiment going into the into the last month of the year. I think part of it is this ISM report, but I think more has to do with tariff concerns. Uh, and we're about two weeks away from tariffs increasing on a wide swath of not just B2B goods, which is really what has impact the tariffs have impacted so far, you know, business to business uh, products. But this is going to affect a lot more electronic components, electronic products, and affect the B2C. Another reason why I think yields were up today was because that is pricing and maybe a little more inflation. Remember, nothing is worse for the bond market than rising inflation, and certainly tariffs will uh, c- contribute to that. So I think that was the the main driver. The Hong Kong bills signed on Friday by President Trump, and sure China didn't like that. And this phase one deal is taking a lot longer than most are expecting to get done. And once again, I don't think it gets done this year. I really, really don't. So that's really the market today. But I have some other things that are on my mind as well. We're going to talk about those ISM report. We're going to talk about electric vehicles. What is it going to take for the electric vehicle market to really catch on in a more mainstream way? Obviously, it's been increasing and more and more people are buying electric vehicles. But what is it going to take to really get to a point where most cars are sold as electric vehicles instead of a small, small percentage, one or 2% of cars being sold today. So we're going to talk about that. Also, what was the reaction by by China with the Hong Kong bill? I think that will be interesting as well. And then we'll dig in a little deeper on those U.S. factory numbers as well. But let's go to Andre in Los Angeles. He's looking at UGI, which... I'm trying to remember what they do. Let me pull this up. I've, I remember looking at the stock a long time ago. Holding company with interest in propane and butane distribution, natural gas, gas and electric distribution services. So they are in, they're, they're kind of an oil refiner. Is that right, Andre? Uh, I think it's more natural gas than it's an energy. Uh-huh. Could be oil refining, I uh-huh. don't know. But uh, I read somewhere that it's, I mean, I looked at the financials, and it looks like a good core, solid business, and that it's kind of steadily had good returns over the last 20 years and had the recent pullback like two weeks ago. I just got 3% dividend yield. be good to maybe pick some up. Yeah, so it's definitely had a big drop in early to mid-November and kind of been trading sideways since then, consolidating, I would say, bearishly. Now, if you look at the financials, you've seen – Cash flow from operations dropped the last two quarters from uh, about 1.1 billion or 1.5 billion to 1.12, now to 1.08 billion. So a small dip there. Revenue was down 10% last quarter. They actually lost five cents a share as well. So that's a worry. Uh, you're right. It does yield about 3%. Analysts are downgrading ex- earnings expectations for next year and the year after. So that's a little bit uh, of a, a worry as well. $9.1 billion company. So kind of in the mid cap, about $4 billion in debt. Nothing too crazy. Uh, but that payout ratio based on recent cash flow as well as earnings 
looks a little stretched. Payout ratio is 133%. Cash dividend pay ratio 115%. And the natural gas market is not doing so hot. Uh, there's a lot of oversupply. And so natural gas price, prices are dropping, which is not helping UGI. So if you look at the trend uh, overall in this uh, uh, in this sector, it's not benefiting the the likes of UGI. So that's the biggest worry for me. Uh, I don't like this this recent dip in, in cash flows. That worries me a little bit. Uh, and technically, it continues to be in a downtrend. I'm not seeing anything that's really indicating that this is this trend is going to change. Uh, so. I don't think that dividend is exactly healthy. They're going to need to turn their business around to sustain it longer term. And I don't like the trend in the sector as a whole. So you know, overall, I, I don't really love it. Their, their return in equity long term has been relatively good. High single digits into the high teens a range over the last decade, which is solid. But it's also fair, fairly volatile. Um, so I just don't love it yet. I, I think it's not cheap enough. It's business dynamics are not doing so hot enterprise value EBIT is about 14. I need that to be in the single digits for me to look like this is a, a great bargain. I would wait until at least 38, now it's at 43, before I'd even think about picking this up. And I think this could actually get back down to the high 20s. And that's where I would really love the company, really love to pick it up. But uh, this, is, this, this has broken its uptrend and I would stay away from it for now. But you're right, long-term it is a good company that you, you should have on your watch list. But wait for a little more shakeout here. This is Invest Talk. I'm streaming live Monday through Friday in the four o'clock Pacific time hour. And we're also available for free download as a condensed podcast as well. And you can browse by topic at investtalk.com. You can also download, review, and rate on Spotify, iTunes, or Google Play. And now I'm taking your finance and investing questions live at 888-99-CHART. This is InvestTalk. For serious investors, it's all about achieving financial freedom. That's why the unbiased guidance offered by Steve and Justin is so valuable. The InvestTalk Anytime listener lines are open now, and Steve and Justin welcome your questions. Call 888-99-CHART. 888-99-CHART, 888-992-4278. We have about 40 minutes left in the show. So if you're going to call, you want it sooner rather than later. Now, oil was at $56 per barrel today. Down a little bit, but certainly in a relatively bullish move over the past couple months. And part of that has to do with inventory is not quite as high as it has been. And I think the biggest thing is the U.S. rig count. It, what's interesting about this is that rig counts fell dramatically back 2015, 16 minimum oil prices plummeted into the 20s or $30 range. And you know now we're in the 60, 50, you know, 55, 56 range. And with that recovery, US rig count went from 440, sorry, 404 rigs back in May of 2016 to a high of late last year to over a thousand, almost 1100 rigs. Now we're down to 802. So a lot have been shut down. Part of that has to do with a little less financing in the space, so less rigs can be operated at a loss because there's not investors backing it up, uh, as well as you know the supply dynamic 
supply-demand dynamics uh, certainly has changed a little bit with the, the rig count, and that's reduced supply overall and kept the oil market high, uh, not high, I wouldn't say high, let's say steady, that's a good way to say it, uh, for a little while now, and a lot of that, like I said, has to do with a lower rig count. Now, gasoline prices are at 259 per gallon as a national average. California continues to be the highest, $3.80 per gallon, and two-year treasury yield, interesting today, was up a little bit to 1.62, and the 10-year also up to one. 0.84, and that's odd because you would think that the weak stock market would mean more money flowing into the bond market, into treasuries, into the safety trade, and that really wasn't the case today. Typically, when you see a down stock market, you see lower interest rates as well, and that was not the case. The 10-year was up six basis points, which is actually a decent move for the bond market. When you're yielding 1.836 at the close today, you know, six basis point move from Friday is pretty, pretty dramatic. Uh, so interesting dichotomy there. Gold was at 1464 per ounce. Also in that consolidation phase, up a little bit. That was a, a definitely a strong part of the market. GDX was up only nine cents, but still you know, three tenths of 1% positive is pretty good when the overall market dropped uh, about 1% or so. Now let's check in on Black Friday and Cyber Monday. And online sales for Friday and today are expected to increase by 20% over last year. Amazon itself expected $9.4 billion in online sales, and that would be a record. And the entire online sales sector should rack up about $20 billion over this last week. You know, Black Friday is no longer really Black Friday. It's more like Black Friday week, Black Week, I guess you will call it. Most of these sales start on Monday and go through, you know, today. So uh, it's pretty interesting to see how this has evolved over the years. And is it really good for retail? I mean, I think a lot of people maybe reduce spending in other times to increase in Black Friday. I think it's pretty interesting that dynamic and how that's evolved over the years. But nonetheless, it was a good week for retailers online. Now, this is Invest Talk, and I understand that. Many of you might feel the urgent need to get your portfolio in shape. I know we're going to the final part of the year, and that's normal. You can reach out to myself or Steve at our Irvine, California office, and we can help with that. But now I'm taking your finance and investment questions live at 888-99-CHART. This is Invest Talk. Guess who's coming to San Jose? Steve Peasley. He'll return this Thursday to conduct his free portfolio review consultations. It's his final trip this year. Appointments are limited. There may still be one or two availabilities. Learn more and register now at investtalk.com. Let's go to David in San Jose. How you doing, David? Good. How are you, sir? I'm doing well. You want to talk about investing in the market? I do, I do. Uh, it's a pleasure to talk to you. Um, I uh, have a couple of properties, uh, actually about four properties, and um, just kind of an idea of what I have to do to be able to retire here. Um, 
I'm in my 50s, and I'd like to retire here in about five years, five to six years. And I was hoping uh, some insight. Okay, so you have four rental properties, I'm assuming, correct? I have four rental properties, uh, not including my own. Two duplexes and two properties, two houses. Okay. And are those paid off, or do you have positive cash flow? Yep. Yep. Com completely paid off. Okay. And it sounds like you. Okay, and sounds like you want to utilize these as your retirement income sources. That was the idea, but I'm thinking okay. there's something else well, I could do to, to better advance myself. Well, I would have to really look at the numbers, and does that free cash flow cover your expenses today? Uh, well. It's covers my expenses for my property and there's half left over, uh, I'd probably say there'd be say about, I could probably get like twenty five, thirty thousand after my all, all my insurances and property taxes. So I mean Okay, per year, got it. Okay. On. So yeah. Yeah, so not not enough not enough to live on. Uh, I would really have to look where are these where are these uh, located, are they in California? Yeah, Central Valley. Okay. Well, in general, in Got California, it. the cap rates are going to be really low, right? You're probably getting some in the neighborhood of 3 to 4% of the value of the home. Um, um, I'm, all the cost averaging, I'm doing about 4 to 7, somewhere between there. I did it once before, and I think I was okay. at... I was at around five, I'll give or take a little bit. Okay, I, I mean, that's, that's pretty good, obviously. Obviously, you're going to be uh, very levered to the housing market, uh, and you know I've said this for a couple of years now, and that's you've seen that slowdown in the in the housing market. That this is a much better time to sell than to to buy, but uh, you have to make kind of a decision where you want to concentrate your your wealth uh, and your income, right? You can easily invest in the, the, the stock market and you're going to have higher risk, but you're going to likely get longer term a, a better return, you know, seven, eight percent plus, uh, and a lot of that in in dividends or interest, depending on how you invest. Uh, so that's something I would consider as a little more diversification. Uh, maybe, I don't know if you have a problem property, a lot of them, a lot of people do, uh, especially the, a host of properties. They usually have one that or two that might be an issue. Uh, this might be a good time to unload that. Um, but this is more of a question I think I'd really need to get a deeper dive into what are the values, what do you owe, what are your goals, etc. cetera, uh, that I can certainly uh, map out for you. Uh, I do this for listeners, for clients, build a financial plan. So why don't you go to investtalk.com, shoot me a, a quick message, or you can just email me directly. Uh, I think my email is jklein at kpfinancial.com. And that'll go straight to my email box, and I will. Uh, I can get a little more details and kind of uh, model that out, because uh, that's really what you need to understand is not only what is happening today, but what's going to happen three years from now, in five, and ten, fifteen, etc. Uh, and then we can go from there. But uh, thanks for the call, David. I know you're probably a lot, probably a lot going through your mind and a lot of what ifs and variables. So I'd be happy to uh, go through those with you off air. Thanks for the call. 
888-99-CHART, 888-992-4278. We have about 30 minutes left, so get your call in now. Let's touch on the market today. I talked earlier a little bit about the, the drop in the, uh, in the S&P. We saw the S&P down, what was it? It's up here. Uh, about a little about a little less than 1%. The NASDAQ a little more than 1%. Transportation down a little more than 1%. So it was a pretty solid down day, and it was on the back of weak ISM manufacturing data. You saw the VIX rise from 12.6 to 14.3, and the manufacturing index dipped to 48.1 in November. That's much lower than estimates of 49.4, and it's just a continuation of a contracting manufacturing sector here in the United States. And remember, anything below 50 is considered contraction. And we're now four months in a row. July, sorry, August was 49.1, September 47.8. And then you saw a little perk up to 48.3 in October. And a lot of people were kind of championing that. Okay, the manufacturing market's turning around a little bit. And maybe we're not in a straight line down. And we certainly aren't because we're not at a new low for this uh, this recent drop. But now we're at 48.1, which is a slight tick down from, la- from October, which is, like I said, much worse than analysts were expecting. So you're seeing a continued contraction in the manufacturing sector, which will eventually feed into the services sector because layoffs, cut hours, things like that will certainly happen in tariffs certainly aren't helping the case either. Now, next in Vaxstock, most analysts expect corporate earnings to grow by 10% next year. However, one prominent Wall Street firm predicts the stock market will not keep climbing. That story tomorrow. Steve will get into that. But for now, I'm Justin Klein, and I'm ready to take your questions right now at 888-99-CHART. From sunrise to sunset. Hi, Steve. This is Carol in Alabama. From dusk till dawn. Hey, guys. It's Carl from Philadelphia. The questions keep coming. I had a question regarding portfolio yield. From down the street, around the corner, and across the country. Big fan of the podcast from New York here. I'm calling from the Chicagoland area. From Newport, Kentucky. Invest Talk listeners have one objective. This is Frank from the Bay Area. Financial freedom. I had a question on your opinion about this Vanguard Total Bond Market Index Fund. How they get there and when they get there is up to them. My question today is about diversification. But Steve Peasley and Justin Klein can help improve their strategy with unbiased investing guidance. I really thank you guys for all of your knowledge and wisdom. Listen live or download the podcast, investtalk.com. This is Invest Talk, the radio program and podcast dedicated to helping you achieve financial freedom. You may be a regular listener. You may even have called a few times. But if you've never called, what are you waiting for? The phone lines are open, and Steve and Justin would love to hear your questions right now. Call 888-99-CHART. Hey, Steve and Justin. It's Joseph from Louisville, Kentucky. Hope you guys had a great Thanksgiving. I just wanted to check in and get your opinion on those like myself that are long-term buy-and-hold indexers. What are your thoughts? on a total international fund. If you keep up with John Bogle or Warren Buffett, what they said, you know, they really don't adhere to buying into index funds associated with international 
for the long term. They have a lot of confidence in U.S. equities. And obviously, they've also spoken to how, you know, some of the bigger names in the S&P 500 has dealings with international exposure anyways. So for the long term, would you still be okay if you just invest in U.S. equities from here on out? Or is it still kind of reasonable to have maybe 20, 25% of your portfolio that are international? Obviously, diversification is the only free lunch from what I hear, but these are two moguls in investing and would like to get your thoughts. Have a great day. Great question. This is a time when the U.S. market has greatly outperformed the foreign markets for some time now. Uh, a lot of that has to do with rising geopolitical tensions in like places like China, as well as economic doldrums in areas like Europe. And this has made the U.S., while we have our own problems, especially when you think of like our budget deficit, uh, our demographic issues, our entitlement issues, while we have those problems, we are still kind of the cleanest shirt in the dirty shirt pile, right? And so that's why a lot of money has been flowing here and made our valuations far higher than a lot of the other foreign markets. Now, some were drastically higher. Others were only modestly more expensive than other markets. But in general, you could easily say this is a pretty good time to be allocating more money to foreign markets in general. Now, there's always caveats. You know, I don't love China because of, and I think the start of a trend change in how we view China and our business dealings with them and their financial risks, et cetera, and geopolitical risks and internal political risks. Uh, however, there are areas like, I think Europe is one example. While they have their own issues, I think they have the political will and the economic strength to pull through it. Now, it might take uh, a few more years before these break out, uh, and they might just perform relatively well, right? You could easily go into a bear market over the next three years, and the U.S. market be down 30 40%, and those foreign markets only being down maybe 15 20%, and that would be relatively uh, a good performance from foreign markets. So that's certainly a possibility as well. So just because it's a relatively cheaper market than it is here in the United States doesn't mean you can't have negative performance on both sides. It's just a matter of where will markets be performance-wise five, ten years from now. And I would probably be fairly confident that over the next ten years, you're going to see foreign markets outperform domestic markets, especially when a lot of our performance and our valuation excess is concentrated in tech and there's not a lot of tech exposure in Europe and other areas where there is here in the United States. So that's something to consider as well. But you don't want to go all in or all out. I think you just want to overweight international funds if you're looking on a medium to long-term time horizon. But great call, great question. Definitely something you should think about. Now let's pivot to the electric car industry. And I know 
A lot of people think I'm negative on electric vehicles because of my stance on, on Tesla. I'm just more negative Elon Musk than I am electric vehicles. But uh, there was a great, great article written by uh, the president of GM. And it kind of covers what it's going to take to make EVs the dominant platform for vehicles in this country. And while, like I said earlier, there's a lot of growth in the electric space and even self-driving vehicles are going to change the, the landscape for a long, long time, it's more of a question of how soon those things are going to happen and what it's going to take. Obviously, electric vehicles have environmental benefits. Some are uh, much better performance, you know, especially right off the line kind of top end, they don't have the horsepower, but they have a lot of torque. Electric vehicles, electric motors have a lot of torque. Quiet operation, and some like the styling, some don't. And with less motor, there's a lot more interior space, right? Now, what's interesting is GM went and surveyed a bunch of people in Chicago and LA and 40% of the people in Chicago said that they're, they would prefer an electric SUV over an internal combustion engine, 45% in LA. That's despite a several thousand dollar premium in the price of electric motors and electric models. The average battery and motor setup on an EV is somewhere in the neighborhood of $10,000. Whereas an internal combustion engine only costs about three grand. And that's after being highly regulated, and there's a lot that goes into them these days because of those regulations. Now, what's it going to take to get EVs to be the dominant platform? Well, first is range, right? It's the biggest barrier to people buying electric vehicles. Most consumers surveyed said they want at least 300 miles of range. And if you just look at the top six models of electric vehicles, they all have 238 miles of range or more. Now that's going to continue and get better. Each new model year is going to be uh, incremental improvements. He points out the Chevy Bolt came out of recent, the 2020 is going to have 259 miles of range. That's a 21-mile improvement from previous models. So they're going to continue to get better. So I'm not really worried too much about that because I think they'll eventually get so high that most people won't think it's a real impediment. Next is charging infrastructure. And I think this is actually the lowest barrier to vehicle ownership. Why? Because 80% of electric vehicle owners charge their vehicles at home. Now, most people don't exhaust that range. Even though they want two, 300 miles, most people only drive 40, 50, 60, maybe 100 miles a day. They take it home, they charge it in, in, at home, and they don't need to worry about charging infrastructure, but it does help with range anxiety. Some charge at work as well, so that's helpful. But number one thing that's going to change the way we look at electric vehicles is cost. And part the government's doing part of the work. They're using incentives, right? I believe if uh, before 200,000 uh, vehicles sold for each brand, you get $7,000 or $7,500, I believe, in credits. Each state has their own individual ones. But mainly is that problem between 
ten thousand dollars for the platform for an electric vehicle versus three thousand for an internal combustion engine. Now there's less maintenance costs, and that's certainly positive. About one third the cost of owning an electric vehicle versus a gasoline powered one. But the purchase price is significantly higher. Now, GM thinks it'll be about a decade before you have parity there. I think it's going to take a little longer. I could be wrong, uh, but that's what GM thinks. So, really, that's what it's, it, it comes down to with electric vehicles is when you get to cost parity. Right now, electric vehicles don't have the utility right, because of the range problem, and they cost a lot more. So, you're paying more for less utility. And EVs will become ubiquitous when they have just as good utility or better, and they cost as much or less. And it is going to take some iterations and some improvements in, by great manufacturers. And that's really what the car business is all about. And that's one thing I think uh, Elon gets wrong and Tesla gets wrong is that they're about innovation. And innovation is certainly big in the car industry and it's important. But it's most important when in, is innovation in manufacturing. And Elon tried that with adding more robots to the production line, and you saw how that played out. It flopped. But if you look at the car market, which companies are the biggest? Toyota. Right? Toyota is probably the biggest, one of the biggest, with, along with Volkswagen because of the consolidation within that industry. But it's about being great manufacturers. And they certainly innovate over time. Think of the Prius. That was certainly an innovation. But being a great manufacturer is exactly what will put you ahead in the car industry. Now, I'm Justin Klein. You're listening to Invest Talk. And obviously, you understand the importance of unbiased guidance and experienced market analysis. So that's why I encourage you to subscribe to our KPP Premium Newsletter. It's written and distributed every single Friday. You'll get market analysis, portfolio management guidance, and stock ideas, as well as personal finance tips as well. You can subscribe anytime at investtalk.com. And now I'm ready to take your questions live at 888-99-CHART. InvestTalk is made possible by KPP Financial. InvestTalk hosts Steve Peasley and Justin Klein are the principals of KPP Financial, and they are independent financial advisors. This means they place their clients' interests ahead of the firm's. As part of that commitment, KPP Financial practices parallel investing, where Steve and Justin's accounts participate with client investments at equal prices and percentages. You can learn more about parallel investing and the other KPP Financial programs at investtalk.com. The phone lines are open. Steve and Justin welcome your questions. Call now. 888-99-CHART. Good morning, Steve or Justin. This is uh, Sayed from Chicago, Illinois. I was wondering um, what's going on with Walgreens. Is it time to sell or uh, hold on to it because they got going on buying thing is coming up pretty soon. So the stock has come up a little bit. I have a little gain in it. So should I sell everything right now or hold it? Please give me your your thought about it. I like your show, and I listen to it every day. Thank you, sir. 
All right, he's looking at Walgreens Boots Alliance, and this is a company that is talking about going private with the help of KKR, which is a big private equity shop, and they're having trouble really putting all the money together, right? Uh, and they they need about another twenty billion dollars on this buyout attempt, and right now Walgreens is valued about fifty-three billion. I'm not sure exactly. Sixty, sixty-five billion is their uh, their purchase price, I believe. So if you buy it today and they actually go through with this sale or this leverage buyout, then uh, you're going to have a nice 10, maybe 15% upside from here. But if it doesn't go through, you're going to see this probably collapse back down into the low 50s. Right now, we're right around $60 a share. So that's your your kind of binary outcome, whether they actually follow through or that not will be interesting. I think they eventually get there uh, because just money is still relatively cheap. There's enough money floating around with maybe other private equity firms, et cetera, that can go in on the deal and lend the money. Uh, certainly going to leverage up their balance sheet and make it a riskier endeavor, but it's it's Walgreens. They have pretty good cash flow. And even though they have a decent amount of debt, I believe this will eventually get done. So, you know, your upside isn't huge and potential downside, especially if it doesn't go through and maybe go into recession, hurts their business. They're certainly in a time or in a, in a sector that is under fire, retail, obviously. But I do think it eventually get done. It's just there's not a whole upside, you know, maybe 10% or so from here. I don't love that. Uh, so you just kind of have to make your own decision on whether you think this deal gets done and whether that extra 10% upside from here is actually worth it. So great call. Now with stocks coming off the best month since June, retailers expect to be the big winners over the holiday shopping season. You have Amazon, Walmart, and Target. They're the big three, right? Amazon will continue to dominate and increase market share because of their online presence. But you also have the Coles, Macy's, Norsons of the world. They're severely challenged and, and they're having their own issues and clearly Target and Walmart, I've said this before, have the best chance to compete with Amazon because of their reach and their installed distribution. Now, depending on which report you accept, there have been between 90, 270, and 14,000 store closures just in the past year. 2018, there were only 5,840. So we've, store closures have doubled this year, which just goes to show you how important it is, is to have a lean cost structure to be able to utilize your assets in the best way. And I think that's really the lesson here is leadership being able to squeeze as much value out of the assets that they have. And that's what Walmart and Target have been able to do is their biggest assets are their stores and their large footprint. And it might take some investment to transform them into their best use case in today's world. But you have to have good leadership to do that. And this is just another example of how good leadership can make or break a company, can change the long-term trajectory of a business and its stakeholders, investors, bondholders, etc. And why you need to consider leadership as an important aspect in your analysis.
Now, our work continues after our final break. Give me a call at 888-99-CHART. On the next Invest Talk, most analysts expect corporate earnings to grow by 10% next year. However, one prominent Wall Street firm is now predicting that stocks will not keep climbing. That story tomorrow. But now Justin Klein is here, ready with answers, and he's waiting for your questions. Call Justin, 888-99-CHART. Hi, this is Tom. I'm calling about BlackRock Health Trust. It's BME. First question about this is, it's a closed-end fund, and I'm the first I've heard of that. I'd just love to know what those are and your thoughts on them in general. And then, you know, this this fund seems to just trade sideways and has a 6% dividend. That's kind of what attracts me to it, but not sure what comes along with a closed-end fund. So I'd love your thoughts on it. Thanks a lot. All right, he's looking at BME, which is BlackRock Health Sciences. And first, I want to delineate between an ETF and a closed-end fund, which this is a closed-end fund, like he stated. Now, an ETF is a fund, a collection of assets, just like any fund, but there are some mechanisms that basically allow it or force it to trade right near net asset value each and every day. Whereas a closed-end fund is not creating new shares each and every day like an ETF is, right? ETF, you redeem, you purchase. The the ETF company creates or reduces the number of shares each and every day. Now, on a closed-end fund, it's just a set amount of shares and it can float either above, the price can be above the net asset value or below, sometimes significantly. Now, for this one, BME, the six-month average discount or premium is actually a 1.4% premium to the net asset value, which is the actual asset, the value of all the assets within the fund. As of yesterday, it was 3.83% premium. So higher than the average on a three-year basis, that average is about half a percent. So a lot of them tend to trade around net asset value, but many of them do trade at premiums. Some trade at discounts as well. And there can be various reasons for that. So you are also, remember, this, these closed-end funds are backed by a particular bank, usually. Some could be Deutsche Bank, some could be BlackRock in this case. So if BlackRock went under, for example, one issue is that you would actually become a creditor because your the value of this is backed by BlackRock, and that can be an issue. But I wouldn't worry about that in this case. But what you want to look at is the performance of this closed-end fund, and it's actually pretty good. There's not a lot of leverage to it, which is good. Although some of these have some of these closed end funds have a lot of leverage, that can be an issue. And a lot of them do pay pretty high dividends. This one 5.76%. Now, you have to look at that in different ways as well, because the dividends are not all created equal. For example, Last month, there were 20 cents in, 20 cents per share paid in income. But that wasn't actually income. It wasn't dividend income. It was actually capital gains. 14.69 cents were long-term capital gains, and 0.0531 cents 
sorry, 5.31 cents were in short-term capital gains. Zero was in actual dividend income. So on your taxes, you have to report that as long-term and short-term capital gains, depending on how many shares you own. They haven't paid an actual dividend since May. And that's something I would be worried about as well, especially if you're holding it in a non-qualified account, like an IRA, 401k, etc. Sorry, if you're holding that in a non, a, 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 yeah, non-qualified, so a, ta- a taxable account, like a regular joint investment account, etc. So that's something to consider. Now it's a good fund. Top holdings are United Health, Abbott, Boston Scientific, Thermal, Fisher Scientific, and Stryker. So you're concentrated in healthcare as you would expect. But don't think that dividend is something that is actually a dividend. It's taxable income to you. So be wary of that. So in that re- reason, I don't love it. Its expense ratio is also 1.11%, which is not super high, but definitely not low. So I pass on it. I don't love it for all those kind of weird issues. And part of it has to do with it's not an ETF. It's a closed-end fund. Thanks for the call. Great question. I'm Justin Klein. This completes another Invest Talk program. Steve Peasley returns tomorrow, and I'll be hosting again on Thursday when he's in Bay. Please remember that you can access our free Invest Talk podcast download on iTunes, Google Play, and Spotify. And be sure to listen, rate, and review. Because of the nature of the interactive dialogue inherent in the format of this program, it's important for the listener to understand that not all comments made will apply to them specifically. Nothing said shall be taken to be investment advice, or shall statements on this program be considered an offer to buy or sell securities. Such advice is rendered solely on an individual basis, and at times will require that the investor review a prospectus before investing. InvestTalk is a copyrighted program of Klein Pavlis Peasley Financial, a registered investment advisor, which retains all rights. For more information regarding KPP's investment advisors, call 1-800-557-5461. Steve Peasley is President and Justin Klein Chief Executive Officer of Klein Pavlis Peasley Financial. And they thank you for listening and welcome your comments or questions on our 24-hour listener line at 888-99-CHART. 888-99-CHART.